You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many as I can. So we're up to the second Torah portion, and this week it's a double Torah portion this week. The first one was Achremos. That was our show before. We talked about living and now I guess we like the word L. Now we're going to talk about the word loving. Living, loving, there must be a great connection. This Torah portion is so jam-packed with commands. It's, till now, we've had... Uh, most of the Torah portions are like stories through, through Genesis, through Exodus. Even we had uh, a couple weeks ago in Shemini, yeah, we had sacrifices. But now, now the Torah is starting to give us lists of requirements and mitzvos, commands, positive, negative. So, but I wanted to talk about this one this week. It's perfect timing. Um, we're going to talk about love your friend like yourself. The great Rabbi Akiva said that this is a great rule in the Torah. Hillel, by the way, says it a little different. We'll get to Hillel soon. But Rabbi Akiva said, love your friend like yourself. This is a great rule in the Torah. Now, it is interesting, this same Rabbi Akiva had 24,000 students. These weren't just regular students. This was going to be where Torah would flourish and continue from these 24,000. These 24,000 students would be the continuity of Torah. And during a small period of time, it's a 33-day period of time. It is debatable if it's from, from Passover time to what's called Lagba Omer, the 33rd day counting of the Omer, or if it was from uh, the beginning of the month of Iyar, 33 days later, till right before Shavuot. Whatever it was, it was a 33-day period where 24,000 great rabbis died. What happened? So the Talmud says that they did not show the proper respect to each other. Each of them were great Torah scholars. They looked at each other as equals, and they treated each other as equals, but they forgot that they had to respect the Torah that each one had. Good, I have it, but I have to respect you for what you have. It doesn't matter that I also have it. And that's something that was missing. And therefore, God said that I cannot allow the Torah to continue through these 20... It's like funny, it was all of them. I can't let the Torah continue through these 24,000 students because there is a fatal flaw in their character. And that flaw, it might be a small crack right now, but if they're going to... As they pass on the Torah from generation to generation, it won't just be a flaw anymore. It will be part of who and what they are. That flaw is such a problem, they have to all die. Maybe I keep ended up... Finding another five students, that was it. So he went from 24,000 to five. But those five is where everything we have really comes from. The Mishnah and the Medrash and, and the Zohar, all the things come from these five 
special students. So it would seem that their character trait was missing in this love your friend like yourself. So I asked my class this week, not like asking third graders, because they really try hard to answer. They're just not equipped fully for the conversation. So I said, you know, the Torah says you got to love your friend. You got you to gotta love your friend like yourself. So I said, okay, you, whichever child I picked, Maishi, you have to love me, right, as yourself. So um, since the Torah commands you to love me, please go shopping for me. And you, Yaakov, you have to love me. Please build my deck. And you, Beryl, you have to love me. That the Torah says, you have to love me. Please go uh, take out my garbage, right? So they all knew that doesn't make sense. Can't be that the Torah says, love your friend like yourself. It can't be that I have to go ahead and, and become your servant because the Torah says I have to love you. But they didn't know how to explain. So what does it mean? And I wonder how many of you are listening, the more you think about it, where is the line? So what does it mean I have to love you? I love you. I do something for you. I don't have to do something for you. What do I do? That becomes a fascinating question. And we're going to answer it with a uh, even more famous uh, Talmud. So there were two leaders in the land of Israel approximately 200 years before the temple was destroyed, close to 180 years, I believe. One was the great Hillel, who everybody knows he loved everyone, and one was the great Shammai. These were the two leaders. They had the two leading schools, and that's, again, where Torah is going to come through their schools. So there were three converts, or three non-Jews, who wanted to convert. So I'm going to do the story a little bit out of order because I want to get to the... I want to do the first one last. It just helps what I want to teach. So one guy says, one guy comes to the great Shammai, and he says, great rabbi, Shammai, I would like to convert, but I have a condition. Okay? The rabbi says, what's the condition? The condition is that I, I only care about the written law. I don't want to hear about what the rabbis have to say. That's my condition. Shammai is this great scholar. He is one of the leaders. He understands without the oral law, there's no value to the written law. He is not wasting his time on this guy who's coming to convert. So he throws him out. The convert, or the future convert, doesn't give up. He makes his way to Hillel. He says, Hillel, I want, you to, I want to become a Jew. I want to convert, but I got a condition. I'm only accepting the written law. I don't want to hear from the rabbis. Hillel says, no problem. Come back tomorrow. We'll start your studies. Comes in, and he teaches him the olive base. This letter is an olive, and this letter is a base, and this letter is a gimbal, and this letter is a dot. He teaches the olive base. Okay, come back tomorrow. Guy comes back tomorrow. Hill takes the olive base that he taught him yesterday, and he flips it around. He says, oh, this letter, there's an olive. The guy says, no, no, yesterday you told me that was a dollar. Eh, it doesn't matter. Points the next letter, there's a base. The guy says, what, one second. You told me yesterday this letter was a gimel. Eh, it doesn't matter. This letter is a gimel. But you said Bayes, you said Olive, you said Dalid. What's going on? So Hill says, look, you can't even read the letters of the Torah. And the only way you know what's right or wrong is because you're going to listen to me. 
So I'm telling you, the only way to understand the Torah is to listen to the rabbi. How else do you think you're going to understand it? So the guy says, okay, you're right. I will accept what the rabbis have to say. Story number one. Story number two. A guy goes to Shammai and says, uh, Rabbi, I want to convert, but you know, I really want to be a high priest. Shammai says, what are you crazy? You can't be a high priest. You a convert. You, you have to get coming. Get out of here. He throws him out. The convert doesn't give up, or he wants to convert, goes to Hillel and says, I want to be a high priest. That's my condition to converting. So Hillel says, no problem. So he starts to teach him, and they're studying verse by verse. They start getting to the laws, and then they get to one of the verses that says that a non-Kohen who does the service in the temple will get a death penalty. It's a heavenly death penalty, but will get a death penalty. So this convert says, who's this non-Kohen? So Hill says, even the great King David, that greatest of the great, King David himself, if he goes into the temple where he doesn't belong, or he does the service that he's not allowed to do, he will incur a heavenly death penalty. So the convert says, huh, the great Hillel, the great uh, King David, if he was going to die, me, a, a lowly convert, of course I'll die. Okay, I get it. Uh, my condition's off the table. Okay, so that's story number two. Now just as, uh, to throw in for a second, a convert can't come in and make conditions that clearly don't jive with the rules and regulations. And that's what Shammai, why he threw him out. He, you're coming to convert. We have rules and regulations, and you want to make a condition. So don't convert. Don't, just don't, don't bother me. Hillel saw something in these people that they obviously wanted to convert, and he understood if he talks to them for a little while, he'll fix everything. But really, really, that you have to understand, really, really, a convert can't come in and make rules and regulations. That's like, uh, it's like anything. You go into a business and you tell the guy, I want to work for you, but on my conditions. I mean, on your conditions. This is the office. These are the rules and regulations. You don't like the rules and regulations. You can't work here. I want to work for the government, but I want to, you know, have my own private uh, phone line to the Kremlin. Like, you don't get to do that. We, there's rules and regulations. You don't want to follow them, no problem, but then you can't work here. That's what Shammai was telling them. Hillel saw something in that was different. That's why he took care of these three people. Fine. Now let's move on. Let's get to the point. Third guy comes. He was really the first guy. And he says, um, Shammai, I want to convert, but I am a busy man. I need you to teach me the whole Torah while I'm standing on one foot. Crazy guy. Right? We can't get, we can barely touch one Mitzvah, one verse sometimes in a in a half an hour show, and he wants to learn the whole Torah while he stays on one foot. So Shammai says, "You're a crazy guy. Get out of here." Guy goes to Hillel. So Hillel says, "No problem. You ready?" Guy says, "I'm ready." Stands on one foot, and I listen to the words carefully. Hillel says, "What is hated by you, don't do to your friend." Again, what is hated by you, don't do to your friend. The rest is the explanation. Now you can put down your foot. What did Hill mean? Hill really means the, the negative side of Rabbi Akiva's great rule. Rabbi Akiva says, love your friend like yourself. Hillel put it in the negative. What you don't like, don't do to your friend. The rest is the explanation. In other words, whatever you would expect someone to do for you, right, 
but that's on the positive. That's what you have to do for somebody else. In other words, you don't like that I was talking to third graders. We can all, you know, pick this up on any level we need. Um, you don't like when your friend calls you a name. You don't like it. Okay, good. Then you shouldn't call somebody names. You don't like when somebody uh, steals from you. <laughs> don't steal from anybody else. You don't like when somebody moves in on your business. Well, then don't move in on their business. Right? So you don't like when, uh, when somebody damages, when somebody's dishonest, when somebody lies in court. Right? It's, it's really for anything between people. Money matters. Matters between man and his friend. This really covers the gamut. What about between me and God, Sabbath, Passover, and you know stuff like that? So that, the commentaries explain, God is also your friend. So you don't, right? You, you, don't, want to, you don't want people to do things to bother you, right? You got to find out what your friend wants, right? If you want to be a good friend, you got to find out what your friend wants. Okay, you got to find out what God wants. That's how you treat a friend. But that's the answer to our question before. We start out saying, uh, love your, your friend like yourself, so go shopping for me, build my deck, take out my garbage, uh, cook supper, uh, clean my toilets, right? Like, that's ridiculous because you're smart enough to know you wouldn't expect, you, you don't want to do it to somebody, right? You wouldn't expect someone realistically to do it for you. You don't have to do it for them. It's very simple. If you wouldn't expect someone to do it for you, you know your responsibilities. So then you're not going to have other people, you're not, right? Let's take it slow, right? I don't expect people to come into my house for free and, uh, and clean my pipes, so therefore, I don't have to go clean their pipes for free. I don't expect you to shop for me. I don't have to shop for you. That's the, the simple gist of it. The question is, and there's a chadush harim, the question is, um, why did Hillel pick the negative? Why did Hillel say it in a negative way while Rabbi Akiva says it in a positive way? Hillel says the positive action, love your neighbor like yourself. Hill says, what's hated to you, don't do to your friend. So one made it like a positive command, which is how the Torah says it, and Hill made it a negative command. Why the discrepancy? What's the difference? So the Chedushim explains, Hillel was dealing with converts over here. They can understand the negative, the positive aspect of forget about what I don't like, I'm not doing to you. But now that I understand where the line is, now I have to positively go out and actively love my friend. Not everybody's ready for that. So Hill says, let's first start with what everybody can swallow. Everybody can swallow the things I don't like. If I don't like it, that means you don't like it. Good. When you're when you convert, now you're Jewish. Now you want to know how far does it actually go? It actually goes so far as you have to actively love your friend. Fine. Now, by the way, we find Abraham doing the same thing. So it says Abraham planted an orchard. What was the idea? Or he had an inn. What was the idea of that orchard? Or, or again, or inn. People would come by, middle of a desert. He'd invite them in. He'd give them a lavish banquet, water, food. And then he'd say, okay, you know, uh, that when the people, any normal person, when the meal is over, you, you thank the host. Thank you so much. It's so beautiful, so appreciated. So Abraham would say, don't thank me. It's not me, it's God. This is all God's food. 
God, I, I, yeah, I planted it, but it's all coming from God. You got to thank God. Oh, how do I thank God? So you have to say a blessing. Okay, great. How do I say a blessing? So they ask, very nice, that Abraham got them to bless God when they finished eating. It was, thank God for the food. Beautiful. Why didn't Abraham teach them to bless and thank God before the meal? So the answer is, before I get the present, maybe I'm not ready to thank God. Even though you tell me God is going to give me a present, I'm not ready for that. When, uh, after I get the present, I'm ready to say thank you. Am I ready to say thank you before the present even comes my way? I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. So again, Abraham was dealing with the simpler aspect without taking it too far for the average person. So once we're talking about this idea of love, right, love your neighbor, and there's numerous facets. One of the facets of loving your neighbor is in the category of judging favorably. So I saw a beautiful story. What does it mean to judge favorably? How far can we take this idea to judge someone favorably in there's books and there's stories? But here's, I saw this one. It's beautiful. This is a story with above a Rebbe. Um, after World War II, he came to New York. I believe he lived on the west side of Manhattan. And he slowly but surely started to bring together a congregation. And many of these people were survivors from the war. And they were broken. And he had a son that helped him. And every Friday night, he gathered a group of these people. Probably barely had a minion. Barely had a quorum of ten. Now, the main bub of synagogue in Borough Park seats thousands. Thousands. And there's multiple places in Israel holds 5,000. It's a huge community now. But in the 50s, it was a very small group. You know, they scraped together their minion. And then they would probably eat with the Rebbe after the, after the prayers. And it was one week, one of the usuals was not there. So the Rebbe told his son, go find him. He's, see if he's hanging out somewhere in Central Park. Okay. So the son goes, he's walking to Central Park looking for the guy, and he sees him and his mouth drops. This man who sometimes leads the services, who claims that he's a Sabbath observer, is sitting on the park bench smoking a cigarette. The son doesn't go invite him. He turns around, he goes back to his father and says, this guy, forget about it. You don't want this guy. He's not keeping the Sabbath anymore. He's a smoker. Right? It's the difference between, it's what happens when you get older. There's a lot of good stuff to be said when people are older. Their mind is more mature. It's more settled. So the Rebbe told his son, he said, that guy wasn't smoking. It was the Nazis who were smoking. Son said, what are you talking about? That guy is smoking. He's not a Sabbath observer. Uh, and again, the Rebbe said, it's not true. I don't believe you for a second. He's not smoking. It's the Nazis who are smoking. Okay. Two weeks later, the man comes back, and the rebel lets him lead the services. And the son goes to his father. He can't lead the services. He's not a Sabbath observer. The father says, the rebel says to his son, I told you, he is a Sabbath observer. The Nazis are not the Sabbath observers. Anyways, years later, years, years later, um, the rebel and the son attended the wedding 
of this man's grandchild getting married. It's a wedding of this man. It was a grandchild, we're talking about many years later, obviously, where one of his grandchildren got married. So the Rebbe said, see, I told you. Look at his family. Look how beautiful his family is. Look how religious his family is. Look how religious the grandchildren are. What you saw, the man smoking in the, in the park, what you saw, that was not this, the, the, the essence of this man. This was part of the, his issues of surviving the war. There were certain things that were still in his system, but it wasn't him. It wasn't the real him. That was the Nazis in him, what they had done to him. But we needed to love him to help him get him out, get it out of his system. So it's amazing when you can have people like that. They can look at another Jew, can look at another person, love that person, and even if the person is doing something wrong, he can see it's not, that's not the person. That's part of loving your neighbor like yourself. Okay. So as we've been trying to do the last couple of weeks, I wasn't able to do it in the last show, but I gave myself some time for this one. Um, we've talked about that there's this sphero. We're counting to the number 49. And then day 50 is, is, the, is the holiday of Shavuot where we got the Torah. God gave us the Torah. So there's a Mishnah that talks about 48 ways of acquiring the Torah. So we're trying to go through them piece by piece, as many as we could. There's 48 of them. It says there's 48 ways, and day 49 is to review. So we're holding, I forgot to write the number, I think we're holding somewhere around uh, 9 or 10. So the first one is that we're up to, because that was in my last show, papers right here, is called purity. Torah is not school. Torah is not academic. Torah is a vision. It's a way of life. A lot like we talked about in the last show about the Torah wants you to live, to be alive when you are keeping Torah. You're not graded. There's no tests. You have to reach a level of purity. The more pure of mind and soul you are, by the way, the greater the Torah goes into, the greater you can actually fathom the depths of Torah. Talmud says that uh, we cannot reach the level of understanding the earlier generations reached. Every generation, we're further away from Sinai. We have a harder time grasping concepts, understanding Torah. And the reason is because our purity level keeps dropping. The world is not as good as it once was. By the way, they say that affects the fruits and vegetables as well. There's more bugs in a lot of fruits and vegetables that didn't exist till now, even though we have all our... our uh, insecticides and pesticides and who knows what we're using. The fruit doesn't taste as good as it once tasted because the level of purity of the world has dropped. So as the level of purity drops, our level of Torah understanding drops. But but you got to understand that you got to be, it's got to be real. You're living Torah. It's not something you study. Unlike the famous Aristotle, by the way, who is known to be, of course, the great mind of Aristotle, one of the greatest minds ever, but it was, it was known that he didn't practice what he preached. And I was a student one time came to Aristotle and said, Master, you taught us to live this kind of good life, but when school is over, I see you go out and you're, you're not the guy you, you preach about. So Aristotle said to the student, do as I say, as I teach, not as I do, right? 
Let's think about that for a second, right? Do as I say. Parents do that all the time, right? They tell their children how they're supposed to behave, and then the parents sometimes, they themselves don't do what they told their children to do. And, of course, that has no value. So this, le- this idea of purity is to recognize when it comes to Torah study, it's not just the knowledge. It's not just the knowledge, but it's also what kind of person I am. Um, a- another important facet of Torah study to get Torah is to, is to attend Torah scholars. It's the same concept. It's not good enough just to open the book. It's not just good enough to try to understand what God wants, but I need to see it in practice. I need to attach myself to a Torah scholar. I need to attach myself to a rabbi. I need to attach myself to a grandparent, perhaps, or a great-grandparent who is a Torah scholar because got, i got to see it in practice. It's not just good enough to be in the classroom. You know, politicians should take this to heart, right? It's not good enough to get concepts in a classroom and tell the world this is how you have to act. You got to be part of the world. You got to see how the world works. And then you can put things into practice. And that's what you need to do with Torah. Also, you got to see it to understand it. And the music is playing. And therefore, we are going to have to end today's show. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David, Kelsey, and Jalen in the back. And we've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and I'm Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build every room.